Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you need a copy of the Bible, we've got awesome volunteers who are handing them out right now. Just throw a hand up and we're going to make sure that everybody's got a copy of God's Word in their hands. If you don't own a Bible and would like one, that's our gift to you. Please take it home. And if you've got that hardback that we handed to you, turn to page 944. If you've got a Bible and you're familiar, go ahead and turn to Romans 12. Romans 12 is where we're going to be today, like every good Christmas sermon. I thought at least Renault would chuckle on that one. You guys will see when we get there. You'll see when we get there. Romans 12 or page 944 in the hardback. So I need to tell a story of a couple of guys who were, let's say, unlikely friends. There was one guy whose home country had been taken over by a foreign power. Presumably his parents were pretty radical in their approach because he grew up thinking it was normal, good practice to grab a sword and kill Roman soldiers whenever he got the chance. He thought he could get away with it. Does this sound like somebody you'd like to have in your disciple group? Right? There's some truth. Yeah, if your politics are the same as him, you might grab a sword and go along with. And he did it believing that that was what God wanted him to do. Has anybody on this side of 9-11 heard of people that believe God wants them to go kill other people? Have you ever heard of such a thing? Yeah. And there was a very different guy who ended up being friends with that guy. He was so connected to the Roman government that he worked for them. And in fact, he wanted to work for them, even though this government had come and invaded his land, killed people on their way in, ruled with an iron fist. He said, you know, my family's got enough money. I bet you we could put in a bid for that tax collector position and we could get it. And then we could go around the entire county with a group of four or five Roman soldiers right behind us, demand whatever amount we think we can get out of the person. If Rome came and took over your country, are you excited to have that guy in your disciple group? I've got a no from Leslie. What if I told you these two guys were in the same disciple group with each other? What if I told you their group leader was the Son of God? Any group leaders feel like they've got people in their group that can't get along? <laughs> Simon the Zealot, along with Matthew, the tax collector, were so unlikely friends. You want to know how unlikely? So it was 2,000 years ago, but we found an actual photo. Or for those of you from a certain generation, the odd couple. 
This isn't one you saw coming. What on earth happened 2,000 years ago that could make people whose response to the government is get in bed with the government or their response is kill a government worker whenever you see one? I know this is 2020, so none of this resonates with you at all. (laughs) What could make two men like that not only join the same disciple group to open their Bible together, share prayer requests. Well, you know, I'm just kind of, it's rough. I I killed a soldier the other day and it's weighing on my conscience a little bit. Would you pray for me? Like they're in group together. What could put them in group together? What could happen to put those two guys, an orangutan and a beagle? Is that a beagle? On the same team on the same page, in the same family. And, oh, are you ready for it? What could make them each die a horrifying death for the exact same cause, willingly? Because the zealot is already willing to die for his cause. And he is going to die for his cause, but not the one he thinks. What could happen? So since there's red and green and white everywhere, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw, throw you the bone. Christmas could happen. Christmas could happen. If God invades the earth and tells humanity how to rightly relate to him, and he reconciles the greatest divorce of the cosmos, God and man, none of us should be, so, should be shocked and surprised when that reconciliation between God and man has horizontal effects. There's your sermon right there. You can go to Sizzler now. That's the sermon. We're done. I would have said Starbucks, but you already went. The evidence is right there. You didn't get me a peppermint mocha. I'm not bitter. That's the sermon. How could we be surprised in the least if the reconciliation of rebels of the kingdom grab their swords and rage against the king when the king finds an unbelievable way to bridge that gap and to mend those fences, if the horizontal brokenness amongst citizens of the kingdom is not also reconciled. Or let me put it this way. If the blood that Jesus poured out on his cross can forgive you of your cosmic treason against God, how small a thing is it? for our sins against each other to also be forgiven. Man, you didn't know an orangutan and a beagle had so much emotional and spiritual power, did you? This is a picture of the church. This is the church. And if you're here today exploring faith, you already know that. What on earth makes these people hang out? What on earth puts these people onto the same team? They're so different from each other. I just saw a Republican give a hug to a Democrat. That doesn't make any sense. He wasn't choking him. He wasn't actually a triangle. Like, how did that work? Oh, God stepped into their world and gave them a greater purpose. God himself. Linus already told us this over 50 years ago, but I have the ministry of reminding. What is Christmas all about, Charlie Brown? So here's... My first and only point today, 
Jesus came to transform our relationships with each other. Last week we said, rightly, that Jesus came to transform our relationship with God. And there are four more transformations coming in this between now and Christmas Eve. Secondly, Jesus came to transform our relationships with each other. This is part of why Christmas happened. There are a lot of answers. Conrad brought it up months ago that he'd read a book. How many reasons? 50 reasons? 50 reasons Jesus came to die. Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, all inextricably linked. The same God coming to save, right? Part two, Jesus came to transform our relationships with each other. Now let's again, let's remind ourselves of the word transform. This is what transformation looks like. If you were here last week, you remember. Transformation is a big word. It is not a light remodel, amen? If you bring in a contractor that came highly recommended and you say, I want a transformation of this house and I'm willing to write a really big check, you're not expecting that contractor to redecorate one room and then go home, right? Say yes. In fact, you're going to be upset. I said I wanted transformation. But as I pointed out last week, the Christian journey of of really allowing Jesus Christ to be Lord, not my realtor, not my contractor, not my advisor, but Lord, this journey is actually the other way around where you and I tend to think what we need is a light redecorating of parts of our life. And Jesus says, oh, that's funny. Anybody seen The Biggest Loser? Hoarders? Any of these shows where a person's whole life desperately needs to be transformed, you and I have an unbelievable ability to think, oh, I need to tweak a little bit. I need to make a slight adjustment here and there. Um, I feel it every Saturday morning. Not every, I've missed a couple, but my Weight Watchers meeting, I feel it. And as people share, you'll have these really big, amazing statements about really trying to retrain the way I think and I've thought about food for a long time. And then you'll have others that make these really small statements like, well, I'm, I really need to you know, lay off the Cheerios, the Honey Nut Cheerios in the morning or whatever. That might be a small tactical way to move forward. But when Jesus presents himself to us and to our life, he is not presenting a very small little tactical tweak. In fact, the self-help section at Barnes & Noble, that's what they do. They promise transformation, but if you open a book, they're offering a series of small tactical tweaks, things that are small enough you can get your hands around them, where you and I can control, right? The Bible offers complete transformation and it's so big you can't control it. You can't control it and this is why we don't follow Jesus. I want to put my hands on it. I want my fingerprints all over it. I am going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. Except this book says we are saved by grace alone, so that no human being can boast in the presence of God. Jesus is going to do this. And he told us in advance that he was going to knock out walls 
and maybe even redo the foundation. He told you, he told me in advance that Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter were a total transformation of everything that makes you, you. In fact, it's a redemption. Because if you've read the first two chapters of the Bible, we were walking with God in perfection. No shame, no guilt, no brokenness, no pain. Who could possibly take us back there? Who could possibly, after Genesis 3, adjust the flux capacitor, take us back to Genesis 2, and we have not rebelled and keep us in a state where we'll never rebel against God? Who could possibly do that? Except the king of kings says, we're not gonna go back to Genesis 2 by rewinding time. We're gonna go forward. I will die in your place. And then we're gonna write a book and look at the back of the book and you're gonna see that same connection between God and man. How did it happen? I went to a cross for you. We redeemed all of the brokenness. I did it for you and I have to come. I have to, Christmas has got to happen. I've gotta be fully human so that I face every temptation that you guys faced and that I say no to temptation. I live a holy life and I take my holiness and I swap it with your filth when we go to the cross. Total transformation is what Christmas offers. And when we do not want Christmas, when we do not want Jesus, it is still because we want small, manageable tweaks that I can control. So our series is called A Transformative Christmas, not a small tweaks here and there Christmas, not a self-help Christmas, not a feel better about yourself Christmas. Anybody seen the movie Hitch? Okay, in the words of the great Will Smith, you is a very fluid concept right now. I, whatever Greg thinks I is, very fluid concept when the creator steps in and he's still creating and recreating. We're in a culture right now where we love to make I am statements as if my statement about myself is the end of the discussion and Jesus laughs. Are you kidding? I've made terrorists into martyrs. This is easy. I could work with you easy. Terrorists into martyrs. And you and I think that we're, somehow Jesus can't do it. Read with me. We're gonna do the entire chapter. And for you Bible students, I'm telling you in advance, you're not gonna like today because it's one of the most beautiful chapters in scriptures and, and we're only pointing out three small, beautiful pieces. It's, it could take forever to teach this chapter. We're only pointing out three small things. First century pastor Go study Romans. Some of you already are, the Friday night group. Go study Romans, because he's been talking for 11 chapters already. But he's talking to Christians, and he's talking a lot. You're going to see the rhythm here about how Christians treat each other, okay? How the family is supposed to work now that we are reconciled to God. We're now reconciled to each other. The whole chapter, let's go. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing, excuse me, the way you think. You guys hear that? Don't copy the pattern, patterns and customs of this world, but allow Jesus to make minor fixes here and there in your already pretty awesome life. You're already B plus. You might even be A minus. And you just need a little bit of salt and pepper on top of this thing to turn it into a real entree. 
Those of you familiar with the Bible, this is where the Pharisees are, right? If your whole life of your own effort is already A minus, you can look down on other people. Anybody here feel like you're a C minus or a D plus without Jesus? Maybe an F minus? Okay, F minus wasn't a thing until you got theology. Okay, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. He's talking to Christians. Is Paul saying, the one who wrote Bible, is Paul saying that Christians sometimes pat themselves on the back for being awesome? Is Paul insinuating such a thing? Again, if you're a guest and you're exploring faith, some of you guys amen the loudest on some of these points. The Bible says that Christians can be arrogant. We still fight against that old self, that old flesh that wants to glorify. I'm awesome, I'm awesome, I'm awesome. We're still fighting against that. Do not think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. That sounds like communism, Pastor Paul. Deal with it. It's the Bible. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. By the way, nowhere in there did he say that the person with a gift for being kind to others, that's the person responsible for being kind. Everyone else is off the hook. Oh, that's not my spiritual gift, pastor. No. Paul is saying on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit has made certain ones of us a little stronger at something. And it's evident in the way that we treat each other. So if you're stronger at something, if you're good at something, do it. Amen? Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Is that a beautiful sentence for 2020? Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do, you do things in such a way that everyone you see, everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. 
In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Holy Spirit, teach us the word of God today, please. For the glory of the Son, for the glory of the Father, for our joy, for the blessing of our city. And God's people said, Amen. So as I said already to the Bible students, as precious as that chapter is, we're only going to hit on three very small things. Actually, three very big things, but little tidbits. There was so much instruction in there, wasn't there? We should probably just study that one for a month or two straight. Then we would know how to do a disciple group really well, right? Loving each other, being humble, serving one another. Amen. Gifts-based ministry. Note takers, here we go. Relationships transformed by Jesus are marked by honor. Here's the first tidbit. Relationships transformed by Jesus are marked by honor. This is a command given to us down in verse 10, to take delight in honoring each other. About a decade ago, a really powerful movie came out that I'm not allowed to recommend from the pulpit because the amount of naughty words that are in it, Gran Torino. In fact, I would argue to you there's only one naughty word in this movie. It's just repeated so many times. <laughs> Anybody seen Clint Eastwood films, you know, especially in his, in his uh, the last 20 years or so, he's just decided to let it fly. And he wrote and directed this unbelievable film, Gran Torino. Uh, my kids will not be allowed to watch it for a very, very long time, uh, like when they're 30. So... But what's, um, what's so grisly, why, why Clint Eastwood's character has this, this foul mouth, he's this old, crotchety, angry, lonely war veteran. And he and his wife, years previously, bought this cute little house, wick, picket fence, American flag sticking out in the front uh, post of the porch, home. And 50 years later, 40 years later, not only had his wife died, leaving him there alone, and they never had children, uh, the neighborhood slowly transformed, and now the dominant ethnic group of the neighborhood is a group called the Hmong people. And you see in the beginning of the story, there's a lot of ethnocentrism at a bare minimum, probably straight-out racism. Um, he's the kind of guy who says, you're not American unless... You're not American unless, and, and you have to think and act like him. Um, the irony, of course, is the Hmong people are in the U.S. because they were on our side in the Vietnam War, and they had to run for their lives. And we had Anyway, so a um, lot of Christians, tons and tons of Christians among the Hmong, and uh, faith is not a- addressed in the movie. But what's powerful, the, you can't see his face really well, but the young man in the blue shirt, this story is watching the young man in the blue shirt and his family, they just think, oh, this is the old crotchety mean guy. And the old crotchety mean guy thinks, oh, all these, and I won't say which racial slur he uses, but there's a lot at the beginning of the movie. They are just on two different planets. They're not friends. They're barely even neighbors. They own real estate next to each other is really all that has happened. And what you see slowly happen which is just so beautiful and so powerful, is the two groups have needs, particularly this young man. This young man does not have an older man in his life to tell him what masculinity is. He treats his mother and his sister well, 
but he doesn't really know what it is to go to work. He's never had a job. He's not been taught work ethic. He's really fascinated by the old man's really cool car, this Grand Torino that's in immaculate condition in his garage. And that car ends up becoming a bit of a bridge between this young man who's, again, one is from Venus and one is from Mars. And, it begin, and, and then the old man starts to see the gang activity in the neighborhood, and this young man's sister is threatened. And because he's Clint Eastwood, he shows up, and he shows up packing, and it's amazing. And, and he just, you know, who, who, a crotchety old guy who will pull a gun on three teenagers who could have been armed. It's just so awesome. Anyway, so this old crotchety guy who doesn't care about this entire ethnic group around him starts risking his life. He starts seeing people for who they are. They're human beings. So in that moment where she's threatened, he sees a young girl being threatened. He doesn't see a young Hmong girl. He sees a girl who's, who needs to be defended. This young man who doesn't have a dad, and instead of seeing a young man who's Hmong, he sees a young man who doesn't have a dad. Can we agree that when we get more time around each other, we start to see a little bit more clearly? We can see the humanity in each other. And I won't spoil the ending for you, but the ending reveals what was going on the entire time. It is unbelievable how little we will sacrifice for people as long as we think they are they. But as soon as they are we, I will fight for you the way I would fight for my own children as soon as they becomes we. And one of the biggest themes of this movie is honor. One believes in honor because he's a veteran and the other comes from an Eastern culture, an honor-shame culture. And they have to figure out how to honor each other. Once they are getting to know each other, they find out how to honor each other. And I might submit to you honor is the central theme of the entire movie. Brothers and sisters, if you love Jesus, when you are saved from your own sins, by Jesus Christ who washed away your sins and you were adopted and you received a father, you also received siblings immediately, whether or not you knew that. Some of those siblings are the same color as you. Most of them are not. I've told you guys before, China has more Christians than America has people. And it's a good lesson of church history. If you want the gospel to explode, suppress it. When you get these siblings, they may or may not, hopefully not, be the same gender as you, right? Jesus loves men and women. He is saving everybody. When you get siblings, they may speak the same language as you. Most of them don't. In fact, most of your siblings you will never meet until glory because they lived in a different century than you. They lived on a different continent than you, right? Or let's be honest, how many of us haven't gone to Bakersfield once in our life except that we had to. You know, We've got siblings in Bakersfield that we'll never meet. And we lived at the same exact time, both spoke English, and we never met them because who wants to go to Bakersfield? I was born you know what? But the problem is, then they built I-5, and I could get to Disneyland without coming through your hometown. So that's the real issue, is I-5. That's the problem. 
Brothers and sisters, these transformed relationships, these horizontal relationships that are now reconciled and and nobody knows how do they get along, how are they brother and sister, I don't get it. These relationships are marked by honor. A different scripture says outdo one another in honor. This is critical. Jesus came to transform these relationships. Let's put uh, our foot on the gas and go full bore to have the healthiest possible relationships that make no sense whatsoever to the world. Amen? Christmas is for things like this. Second note, relationships transformed by Jesus are marked by grace. Grace. Something good that I receive that I did not deserve. Something good that I received that I did not deserve. That's what grace is. I did not deserve it. Very similar to mercy, not receiving something bad that I did deserve. So let me tell you a story about a time that I received some grace. In fact, I really needed grace. I want to show you the picture, but button. There we go. There was a time when Gregory was driving up to Reading because I was visiting some friends from college. And I was young and dumb and less than wise. Who here has driven five to Reading? Who has done that? Anybody really, really wish that somebody else would drive so you could take a nap? You know what's really frustrating is if you ever need to go past Reading, you go about 50 minutes past Reading, and as soon as you hit uh, Shasta and Mount Shasta, everything is so beautiful that you're just frustrated about the Sacramento to Reading portion. And then it stays beautiful through, you know, Alaska. Everything from Mount Shasta North, just beautiful. Anyway, driving the ugly section of the road, boring as all get out. And I see a police officer passed me. And I'm going to be frank, I was driving too fast. He passed me like I was sitting still. And I was young. And I was dumb. And I didn't have a lot of wisdom. And so I thought, I wonder how fast he's going. (laughs) And I was in college. I'd saved up my pennies. I had a beautiful red 1987 Honda Prelude 2.0 SI. And it said 140 at the top of the speedometer. I'd never tried it because I was a good Christian kid. Oh, good, you guys didn't laugh too loud. That was great. I was like, I wonder, you know, I'm just going to match his speed. I'm, I'm a mile behind him at this point. But I can, you know, you know how this stretch of road is. If you squint, you can already see Redding. There's nothing there. So I, I bet you I'm, I'm a half a mile or more behind him already. And I, so I speed up. I never, I don't even remember, actually. It was definitely, I, I think it was at least 110. But I, I, I wanted to see how fast he was going, and I was dumb, and didn't have, frankly, the, the capacity, the understanding to know how police officers are trained, that they can apparently easily tell the speed of a car behind them. Didn't know that one. So I get going really, really fast, and all of a sudden I see he's slowing down. Oh, so I slow down. And then he's going slower, and then I'm going slower. And he goes even slower, and I, until it's like painfully awkward. Like we're on the freeway, and we're going 50. Because I'm like, oh, oh, you know, and don't pass him. And I'm like, oh, no, he's, 
and he's pulling me over. I, so I pulled over and he got behind me. And something I've never seen before, he jogged to the side of the car. I found out later why. He got out very quickly, jogged, and I'd rolled down my window, did what I was supposed to do, 10 and 2, all of that. And he didn't ask me any questions, didn't ask for the lie, didn't ask, son, what are you doing? None of that. I just said, I clocked you as low as 50 miles on the hour on this freeway, which is illegal, and I clocked you at over 110, which is also illegal. What I am doing has nothing to do with you. And he left and sped off. He had something going on, and it did have nothing to do with me. Now, real important part, who deserved the ticket? <laughs> Gregory, yeah, Gregory deserved a ticket, pretty hardcore. But whether it be by mercy and grace, whether it be by, frankly, he just had bigger fish to fry, maybe there was something genuinely bad happening up ahead, who knows? And a dumb 20-year-old, right? I could have been putting somebody's life at risk. If he's going to save somebody's life and I'm screwing around, you know, I don't, I don't know. So whatever it was, I did not get a ticket that day. But nobody should argue that I didn't deserve a ticket that day. There was a difference between what I deserved and what I received. And that difference is the cross of Jesus Christ. That difference reconciled me to the Father and that difference made us siblings with each other. So our sibling relationships have got to be marked by grace. He's been so gracious to me, how can I not then turn around and be gracious to you? Maybe you said something that hurt my feelings. Maybe I did something that offended you. Maybe you wore Oakland Raiders swag in my house when I invited you into my home. And I was grateful for that grace and grateful it was many years ago that I didn't have to resort to plan B. If it had all happened in 2020, this was my plan B. I don't know if that actually worked. Third tidbit I want us to grab from this text. Relationships transformed by Jesus are marked by peace. Anybody in 2020 would like to have your relationships dominated by the word peace and all that maybe God intends? Shalom. Again, in verse 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And then I don't think, coincidentally, goes on right after that flow of thought to talk about not taking revenge, but be kind to your enemies. Peace needs to be seen in relationships that are truly reconciled. Peace, not disunity, not conflict. 20 years ago, Disney took incredible historical liberties in the way they put together the story of remembering the Titans. And those of you that recall know, it's a bit of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Microcosm of all of American culture 
while we were integrating our schools. This was a team of young men that needed a transcendent identity. And here's what I mean, if you don't recall. At the beginning of camp, there were two groups. There was black and there was white. And at the end of camp, there were the Titans. I can't speak as much about the ladies, but guys, ooh, you give us side by side. and This is where the idea of a band of brothers comes. You give us a common enemy, and we'll make sacrifices together side by side against that enemy. We, we become brothers whether we like it or not. There's honor and there's respect and there's grace that is given because you gave us something to go tackle, literally or figuratively. The two became one. And it took lots and lots of push-ups and lots of miles of running and it took yelling and it took meals together and it took bunking together and joking around together and being forced into certain structures by their coaches for the two to become one. At the beginning of this movie, there is no peace. There is only conflict. And after they're forced together, there is a brotherhood that gives them peace internally. And for those of you that recall the story, that's just the first 45 minutes of the film. They're made into one, and then where does the conflict after they become a team? They've got to go back from football camp. They've got to go back into their city that is still in the midst of all of the racial tension that they've been forced to kind of fight past. And now they have a, a united front in saying, no, we are not black and white. We are the Titans. We are a football team. Brothers and sisters, this is the church of Jesus Christ. This is Christmas right here. Jesus came and he invited the lowliest shepherds who were not allowed at church and were, you know, the working poor, we would call today, and the wealthiest magi, and he invites both of them to come worship him on the first day. Jesus came and he showed, my reconciliation between you and God is going to have horizontal implications. Brothers and sisters, I really, really hope that you're glad that the mercy of God has horizontal implications. Do you know that we need each other? Do you know how deeply we need each other? If you're exploring faith, I want you to know how hard this is. So easy for Paul to say, love each other really well. So much harder to actually do it when we're still selfish, right? When there's still things going on in our heart that Jesus is ripping out left and right and replacing Christmas is beautiful because God came to humanity and he said, I'm gonna save you from the condemnation that your sin brought and that salvation is going to have colossal, universal-wide implications. Your relationships with each other won't even be the same. So brotherhood, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, it's horizontal as well as vertical. Brothers and sisters, our relationships have to be marked by peace if we're gonna call ourselves Christians. And peace doesn't mean that I take the drama and I sweep it under the rug. It's gonna mean taking a deep breath, praying, and going and entering in gently 
and with humility into conversations that we don't wanna have. And that's for free. Conflict resolution is a part of this. Conflict, conflict resolution is hard. How many of you guys know that when you love somebody so much it hurts, that's the person you'll probably go have the tough conversation with. You're not gonna have that with a casual coworker. You're just gonna let it go. You're gonna lower your head so the bullets fly over with a coworker. But a family member, you'll get in and do the hard work. Why? Because the two have to become one. We're still acting like we're black and white and we're not. We are the titans, the mighty, mighty titans. And this is the church of Jesus Christ where we are now one so that what? We can fight the villains that are. Satan, sin, and death, the defeated foes of our savior. And we point our guns at those things, not each other. Amen? We know who the enemy is. Satan, sin, and death, all of whom have already been condemned. And we just to get to be a part of our savior, our king, Jesus, on the white horse. We get to stand there in awe and in praise when a sword comes out of his mouth and makes every dark thing go away. What a sweet spot to be in. Jesus, you mean I brought this sword for nothing? Yes, yes, you brought the sword for nothing. You're here to watch and to stand in awe so that you give my father praise for all eternity. That's what you're at Armageddon for, that you can testify for eternity as to what God did. Armageddon is really just the cross 2.0. You see the cross of Jesus Christ so you can give praise for eternity. And when he comes back and every dark thing gets pushed away, we'll give him praise for all eternity. So what do we wanna do with this? Christians, I wanna be very direct. Don't ever say that I'm always lost in the cloud. Sometimes I get really practical. Starting next week, we're gonna do signups for winter disciple groups that are gonna be January, February, March groups. Sign up for a group. Sign up for a group. It does us no good if we're willing to amen Paul all the way through chapter 12 and we're able to say, oh my goodness, of course, relational peace and honor, this unity is naturally born out of reconciliation to God. If we're able to agree with that theologically, but then we won't actually invest in relationships, then there's something broken, amen? That head-heart disconnect, I don't want any of us to agree in our head that we are siblings and this is hard work that God has commanded us into because we need each other for holiness, for the blessing of our city, the blessing of our world, to bless each other. We, I don't want to agree with that in our head, but then with our hearts and our actions, we stay in isolation. We stay with what's comfortable. We stay with what's easier. I hope 2020 has shown us how desperately isolation kills Isolation is not fun, but I choose it over and over again because I get a feeling of sense of control out of it. No one can tell me what to do. They don't know what I'm doing, right? I'm not in a place to get rebuke because nobody knows what sins I'm struggling with. But then since I'm not in relationship, I can't get encouragement either. You guys know that when you divorce a relationship to get rid of the bad, you also lose the good, right? We lose all of it. 
And in fact, that's what we did in Genesis 3. We didn't want God over us telling us what to do. And so we said, forget you, get out of here. And we lost all the blessings that flow out of it, like life itself. You lose both. And so I wanna encourage you and I wanna beg you, if you call yourself a Christian, you've got to, got to, got to choose into healthy, vibrant relationship. And there's a reason I've got disciple groups up in here and I don't have our classes. Classes are great, but they tend to be more about giving you information and that's all well and good. That's all well and good. But what we're preaching about right here is life-on-life relationship. So I wanna point out, I wanna encourage you, any group that gives you enough time to be actively sharing and talking where it's not just one person talking the whole time, that, allow, that is horizontally focused, where we can actually pastor each other, shepherd each other, encourage each other, pray for each other. Please, please, please do not fail to get into a group throughout this month as we do signups. And if you're not sure when we get signups on the back table, if you're not sure which one is the right for you, I'm, I'm gonna tell you right now, I, I'm happy to talk with you and hear about some of your thoughts and your questions and help you find the perfect group. Uh, Brothers and sisters, right there in the beginning of Acts, the Bible says that they met in Solomon's colonnade, but they also met house to house. There are two forms of the church gathered. There's the church scattered for sure, but the church gathered is not just in a large group place where we hear the word of God. We also have to get together and share, this is what's going on in my heart right now. Would you pray for me? Would you teach me? Would you correct me? Would you pick me up out of the mud from time to time? You know, like families are supposed to do. Like families are supposed to do. If you're exploring faith, this is my encouragement to you. If you want this, if you see this around you, if you see, wait, how on earth are they on the same team? I need you to understand that the unity that you see around you, if you see it, I hope you do, It is a testimony to something that Christians talk a lot about that seems weird to you if you're new to church. It is a testimony to the blood of Jesus Christ. The life of Jesus Christ poured out to forgive sins, mostly vertically, but then also horizontally. And so I want to encourage you off of what you're seeing and what you're hearing today. I wanna encourage you to choose a reconciled relationship with God. We do not follow Jesus for the cool things that Jesus gives us. That's called idolatry. I'm gonna ask her to marry me. Why am I gonna ask her? Well, because she's, really, she's a really good cook. Any woman in the room right now just go, oh, my heart just went pitter-pat at the idea. He married me because I'm a good cook. No, if we choose into relationship out of what we can get out of it, that's, I mean, we're pretty much at toddler level at this point, Right? We choose Jesus because we actually believe. We find ourselves, our hearts beating a little different. We go, I think he is the savior of the world. I never believed that before, but I believe that right now. What's going on? I'm a mess. What's going on right now? Why do I believe that? I never believed that before. You find yourself not hearing the preacher say anymore that Jesus offers forgiveness of sins, but you find yourself believing that he is the sin forgiver and you want him. You want to be in relationship with Jesus. You just want it. Why does my heart want this? Because the Holy Spirit has given you a new heart. That's why.
So my encouragement to you, if you find yourself believing for the first time that Jesus is the forgiver of sins, the lover of your soul, the one who wants to reconcile you to God, if you believe that, you have a new heart. Do something with that new heart. Put your full trust in the weight of his cross to wash away your sins. You cannot wash them away on your own. And of the thousands and thousands of benefits of being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, one of those benefits is that you get siblings. So if you don't have enough orangutans in your life, this is what you do. Band, would you come up and help us worship Jesus and respond? I'm gonna pray for us just a moment. And then after I pray for us, we're gonna sing. I really do wanna implore you guys, do not allow Sunday morning to be something that terminates on itself. If God said something to you, I really wanna encourage you to write it in the margin, but maybe it's highly related to the text of Romans 12 and you need to shoot yourself a little note or in your sermon notes. Maybe somebody in your fall disciple group is sitting close to you and you just need to lean over and share it with them. This is what God said to me today. This is a chance for you to pray and talk to God about what he has said and how we can respond and obey. Maybe you wanna stand and sing. But do not allow the word of God to do nothing in your heart. Don't ever, ever, ever walk into Leatherby's with your uncle who's generous and he says he's paying for everything and you fail to order Valerie's black and tan. Your uncle is generous. He's paying. The gift is right there. Take it. This is our chance to take. We've been fed the word of God. This is our chance to take. Holy Spirit, please give us the humility right now to come to you like beggars yearning for bread. Make us the poor in spirit, God, that we would yearn for gifts that you've given us out of Romans 12. Make us so hungry, God, to celebrate all of what your coming means. Give us hearts that can celebrate Christmas rightly and fill us with joy that overflows with praise and testimony to your goodness. Receive praise and honor and glory, God, right now from us as we sing to you or as we bow and pray or as we're writing down what you have said to us so that we don't forget or whether we share with a friend. Receive praise right now. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ and God's people said,